Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, adventurers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at Wave Brandalore on Twitter. It looks like you're finally letting GG peeps die. I'm not letting GG Peeps die, but there's currently a conversation in the Discord about whether GG Peeps is the best fit, and I decided not to make any assumptions about which way the wind was going to blow that particular needle. Uh-huh. Okay, well that's fair. That's fair. You need to be you need to be <laughs> impartial about I, the decision. I have to at least pretend to be impartial, you know? Like it's just fair. I like how the leading candidate right now is glisteners, goblins and growlers <laughs> listeners. Which sounds like everybody just left the gym without <laughs> taking a shower. I mean, I think about it, though. Like, you don't want to sweat. You want to glisten. Uh-huh. Well, how are you doing on this uh, increasingly late Saturday morning? I'm well, Brandon. How are you? I'm fine. I've uh, decked myself out in a really obnoxious shirt. Uh, with every sartorial decision I make lately, I look like somebody's dad. Uh, so... I'm just sort of chilling. I have come to the conclusion that dad style is just when men feel confident enough to dress the way they've always wanted to dress anyway. I think you're which confusing is... confidence with apathy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think there's a certain level of like, you wouldn't have bought that if it was just apathy. You would have just picked up the first thing on the rack on your way in the store. It was bought for me so i had very little decision making in the process oh well that's its own thing yeah. i guess yeah all anyway, right all anyway right. anyway uh we got something special today yeah let's uh let's talk we've got we've got an indie itch to talk about and then we've also got an interview that we'll be throwing to ourselves uh, talking to G. Edward Patterson III, the author of Groats and Grotesques. I'm trying to recall the exact name of his company. I believe it's The Skull as a Complete Gentleman. While you're recalling that, you can recall the complete name of the book that, we're, that we talked about, because it's A Groatsworth of Grotesques, and not Groats and Grotesques. Wait, really? Have I been getting that wrong this entire time? Yes. Oh, no. I've heard you say it before, though. (laughs) You've got brain (laughs) plaque or something. A groat's worth of grotesques, which honestly is a better title anyway, let's be real. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, just keep climbing yourself out of that hole (laughs) that you dug. Uh, But uh, yeah, we recorded uh, an interview with him earlier this week. And we decided it was just easier to record the interview without framing it within the episode. So we're recording this days later, <laughs> and then we'll throw to ourselves. 
Though I will say, uh, G did seem like he would have been interested in being part of the jibber-jabber we do before the main content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll remember that for next time. After like after his like next project comes out, we'll have him back on. Hell to, yeah. To chat about that. Uh, Hell but let, yeah. let's get started with uh, scratching that indie itch. And you have yeah. you have selected something that perhaps straddles the line of whether or not we can call it a small indie title. Well, given the uh, Kickstarter they had recent massive success with. Yeah. So those of you who travel in the indie TTRPG spaces probably are already familiar with this title. I was just scrolling through looking for a specific genre of thing and found this and was very excited about it. And then Brandon was like, yeah, I own physical copies of those books. We just haven't talked about them on the podcast yet. (laughs) The title I speak of is Tuesday Night Games Mothership, which is a sci-fi horror RPG that involves being in a spaceship and having truly, truly dreadful things happen to your party. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I bought the uh, core rulebook, the Player Survival Guide for Mothership, uh, last summer, summer of twenty twenty one. It was on sale, and I bought um, that and then two expansion books for it. Uh, and they were really nice. They came in like six by nine format, uh, paperback. Uh, very has very much of a zine quality to it. Uh, and I said, Josh, we should really talk about these at some point. And then I just never was able to make the time to actually dig deep into it so we could do like an episode on it. So this is a nice meeting in the middle kind of thing to, to chat about it. Well, and since Brandon's got the book and now I've got the PDF, uh, if y'all are extremely interested in hearing significantly more about it, then maybe we can do a full episode on it. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. So the the reason I looked at Mothership in the first place was I was thinking of things Dungeons and Dragons does poorly. And mm-hmm. one of those things is horror. It's possible, but it's really difficult. It's just not a system made for that sort of gameplay. So you have to do some tweaking to make it really work. No, it is not. Every time they try to do horror in Dungeons and Dragons, it always ends up coming out to be some sort of weird mechanic that you have to give extra brain power to remembering um i mean the solution there is write better stories you know be a better storyteller but some some people need a framework within which to work to accomplish that yeah and i think having a system that is built for precisely these kinds of stories helps with that a lot I find that a lot of the stuff I've played in D&D that involves space tends to be a little bit lackluster itself. Um, It's just hard to mesh elves in the forest and spaceships. I am looking at you, Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. You did well in your time. Uh, I think your adventure you wrote, Brandon, is probably the closest I've seen get to really good on that, Mm -hmm. where... You have uh, an alien-style space wolf tracking down the party as they explore this large, abandoned dwarven mining outpost. <laughs> I appreciate your confidence on that. <laughs> it's just, it's a tough genre to hit well, and I mm-hmm. think this game does both of those things exceedingly well. 
I will say the one thing I kept running into as I was scrolling through was I was like, God, there's so much math and so many dice. Yeah. And then so much math on those dice. Increasingly, my predilections for gaming have tended toward fewer dice, fewer rules, and more storytelling focus. So Mothership is 100% in the opposite direction from where I like to trend these days. But that doesn't that doesn't mean I don't like it. Uh, I would just have to be very intentional about sitting down to play it. It's, it is 100% not a pick up and play kind of thing. You can't just, you can't have like five people over on Friday night and then all of a sudden be like, Hey, does anybody want to play mothership? I'll teach you how to play it. (laughs) Well, I think, I think part of the reason why they have so many dice and so much math is because they want to have something that is a really immersive experience and involves mm-hmm. a lot of individual components coming together to create something really terrifying. I it's not oftentimes when we start talking about things having too many dice and having too many specifics for their rules, you and I tend to be talking about war games mm-hmm. where it's or, like, oh, or Star Wars. <laughs> yes, Star Wars has a lot of dice. I will concur. Um this does this to me does not have a lot of that war games kind of vibe. Like there's a lot of detail in here and there's a lot of info, but I think it's more of that kind of sci-fi like you got to you got to know about the hyperspace drive in order to know that if you reverse the capacitors, the whole thing's going to go overload and destroy the entire ship. <laughs> like it's less an issue of oh well you're 15 feet away and the cone only handles 10 feet of distant like Mm -hmm. it's less of that and more of really trying to get you into the space of the game itself i think if i took the time to really really learn these rules i think i'd have a ton of fun playing this game um Mm -hmm. i think I know you've got physical copies, so maybe we should make some plans to sit down, really figure out how it's played, and get, if not a campaign going, then at least a couple of one-shots. Yeah. Yeah, I the the sale that I um, took advantage of last year, I was able to choose three books. So I got the survival guide, and then I got two campaign expansions, or at, at least, I'm, I'm going to say campaign expansions, because that's the nomenclature with which we're familiar, but... Um, one of them is pound of flesh and it involves having to go to, um, Prospero's dream, which is a space station. And it, on like the third page of it, it says, Hey, there's no canon for what happens in here. It's more of like sort of a sandbox situation where you can decide what your players want to do and what the goal can be and everything like that. So I think that's cool about this one. Uh, it's very uh, the physical book, at least, um, it's like I said, very zany. Um, it's not like glossy cover or anything like that. It's saddle stitched, uh, six by nine format. It is, it feels very, very well put together. The quality on the layout and the editing, uh, is very top notch on this. And then the other one I got was gradient descent, which, uh, before we started recording, I told Josh, it has, very much an Evangelion feel with some of its typography, uh, which I liked. And the maps in it, uh, like the room maps, uh, cause this one involves having to go to a, um, 
it is a production facility for synthetic life forms and like the AI has taken over. So it's uh, sort of a mix of uh, like season one of Star Trek Picard, uh, Chrono Trigger, where you have to go to the future and uh, fight all the robots to help Robo out. And uh, the the like the some of the interior maps are done like uh, circuit diagrams, which I thought was a really cool touch. Uh, to give it that flavor, but it also has a lot of haunting uh, spookums imagery in it. I do enjoy some good haunting spookums imagery. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Brandon was like, we should make sure that we highlight, we were aware of this before, and a lot of people are, in part because their Kickstarter was recently funded for $1.7 million. <laughs> So a fair few people are aware of this game, but mm-hmm. for those of you who aren't and are looking for something that's a little bit more sci-fi, a little bit more horror, I think it's well worth highlighting, especially since the Kickstarter being completely funded is still doing pre-orders for their uh, box set. Yeah, which... the, the, the Kickstarter was for the um, first edition box set for Mothership. And uh, like Josh said, the pre-orders are still open. It looks like they're going to be closing down pre-orders in November of this year. And then they're planning to ship in December. So uh, you can get the deluxe set for $99, which for a complete set of all of this with uh, the core rules, a bunch of the different uh, adventures or campaigns, including two, two of the ones that we talked about. Plus... Uh, a poster-sized map, uh, a trifold DM screen. Uh, it's that's super worth it. And you, they they have tier like a another tier that's like a mega bundle that comes with a T-shirt and some other stuff. So you can sort of spend as much as you want on that. There's also like a core set which is only sixty bucks uh, that has not as many expansions, but still everything that you need to get rolling with it. It's uh, Mothership is one of those things. It's it's definitely an, an indie type production but it's just such high quality work um you should absolutely support it if you like if you like outer space style games uh if you like survival horror games uh this if you like either of those i think you should give this a try because it marries them really well yeah it's got a lot of really cool mechanics it's got a panic mechanic Mm -hmm. which rhymes so you know it's good Panic Mechanic is going to be my post-punk band. <laughs> uh, and so the the consequences for failing saves sometimes are beyond just, oh, you don't do the thing or something bad happens to you. Sometimes it involves actually putting mental duress on your character, which is always fun. I'm looking at you, Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, if if you're in the market for space horror, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find something that's going to be a better fit for that need. I just... Uh, here's our here's our Soviet arcade museum for this episode. Uh, I googled panic mechanic because I, I thought, <laughs> that's, that's too good for somebody not to have already used that. Uh, and it is a movie from 1996 
Uh, and it says, after Hanky Pranky, star of a candid camera TV show, loses his job to affirmative action, he applies for a job at a stress academy. Uh, and it's not long before he discovers his boss is morally crooked, but it's too late. His employment contract has been signed and sealed. So this sounds like a terrible film uh, right off the bat. Uh, it uh, it appears to be a South African movie, and I know none of the people who are in it. Uh, so there you go. Rant, rant slash uh, digression over. If Brandon and I need to watch Panic Mechanic and then comment on it, just let us know. That would at Goblins Growlers on Twitter. Unless a lot of money shows up in our PayPal, that is not happening. <laughs> this this just sounds awful. The oh. what's the Rotten Tomatoes score on this? <laughs> Uh, let's see. It is uh, 57% audience score and it has zero reviews on the tomato meter. So I'm going to say this probably is not worth our time. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. But anyways, do you have any other thoughts on Mothership? <laughs> um, the, a quick a quick forewarning for folks who are completely unfamiliar with it. It does handle a little bit of like graphic content. It does also have adult themes and language in it so i wouldn't say that it's really uh what's the word i'm looking for really uh, uh crass yeah it probably has some body horror in it too yes it absolutely does i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's crass i would say it's all well within theme but if you're the kind of person who is more into thrillers than into full-on horror then this might be a little too much for you mm -hmm. yeah that's fair that's fair. But, you know, do your research. Check it out. How much is it on Itch, Josh, just to get the uh, player survival guide? Believe it or not, it is pay what you want with a suggested price of $5. That's a bargain. It is a it. huge bargain. Cause, and I mean, and that's the strategy, though, right? You know, you, you, you sell people the um, the gateway drug of the player survival <laughs> guide for five bucks, and then you make your money with the expansions and things like that. It's... It, it's a good strategy. We're looking at you, 5e SRD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, check it out. Check it out. Um, I promise that at some point I will run this game, maybe maybe later this year, at least for a, uh, a session or two and see how it goes. I guarantee we could get Gabe involved in that. He would love it. Well, you know what? Why don't we just give Gabe these books and he can <laughs> he can run it. We'll get Gabe to run it for us. Yes. Yeah. Outsource everything. Outsource everything. <laughs> Um, all right. Are we ready to uh, transition over to the interview? Yes, I believe we are going to go now live to the studio where Brandon and Josh are interviewing G. Edward Patterson III as we speak. Over oh. to you, Josh. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Before we throw to us, uh, I just what? want to point out <laughs> I, that we we ran into some audio issues while we were recording this because... Uh, oh, and, yes. Yeah, I don't think it's going to cause like any problems for anybody, but I just want to lampshade it so nobody thinks that we didn't realize it. Um, I counter that. It will absolutely cause issues for our audio editor. <laughs> he is dealing with a single uh, stereo track to edit all three of us on, and that is a nightmare. Yeah, this is because uh, uh, G had issues with his audio 
and his microphone shutting off. And we didn't realize until too late that when his microphone shut off the first time, it killed the multi-track Zencaster recording that we were doing. And we were too deep in to restart at that point. So we made an executive decision in the moment. So... <laughs> Audio might be a little funky. The yeah. cuts might be a little funky. Bear with us and have patience for dear sweet Scott Moore. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it it it'll it'll be fine, and we'll probably repeat this uh, <laughs> for uh, the next episode too, because we ended up talking for what was it, almost like an hour and forty five minutes or something like that. Yeah, it was something in that vein. Yeah, so we we're, we're gonna have to break it into two. Um, it. Uh, it has a bunch, it has a lot of rabbit trails. It might be in part two where we end up talking about offset printing methods for a while. Uh, <laughs> but I promise you that we're talking about tabletop role playing game for the great majority of it. Okay, can I turn it over to me now? Yeah, you can turn it over to you. Okay, over to me in the studio. Thanks, me. We now go live to the studio with our guest, George Edward Patterson III. Thank you for joining yeah, us, G, George. G. Edward. <laughs> you said call you George. Yeah, I know. You can call me. <laughs> okay. So my full right, name is yeah. G. Edward Patterson. G. Okay. Edward Patterson the third, colloquially known as George. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is uh, this is really cool. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> So for those uh, who uh, don't remember, or if Josh forgot to mention it before he threw to this segment, um, uh, George is the author of uh, Grossworth of Grotesques that we talked about some months ago, uh, the really cool Baroque bestiary that I found. Uh, and uh, he somehow found out about us and messaged us and was kind enough to show up to chat about his work with us. There's a, a teeny bit of a story there, but no. Okay. Much. I would love to hear it. Yeah. I, well, I think this may relate to future things. But I was experiencing writer's block. And so I self-Googled. <laughs> so, you know, I block I block an hour. This is my new thing. I, I set a phone alarm. It's like one hour. You got to write. And it's like, go. And then if, you know, and, and that tends to work, but sometimes it doesn't. And so I was just like, I don't know. Has anyone read my last book lately? Because that gives you like a little bit of a charge to go on. Mm -hmm. And so I just typed it in and then your podcast came up. Oh, and it that's, was that's it fantastic. was helpful. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a longtime fan of the show. Uh -huh. You're one of our many Samsung podcast applicants. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-Samsung. I knew you guys before Samsung. So Okay. Yeah, you're 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 an OG on the, yeah, on the exactly. whole thing. You got in exactly when we were like still underground. At least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I really, I'm excited to hear about other stuff that you're working on. I know before we started recording, you said you had something that you might want to plug slash talk about. But uh, I would love it if you could just start off telling us the story about a groat's worth of grotesques and, you know, describe it sort of in your own words. We've talked about it, but uh, you know, what, what brought you to it? What gave you that idea? Um. Like most people who have been dungeon mastering for a while, I have like the, a big file of my role-playing game that I've never finished mm -hmm. that literally is 20 years in the works. So uh, then the pandemic hit. And so I was like, oh, I should, you know, it's time to publish this. But um, I knew that was unwise. So I was like, I should publish a part of this. Um, especially because after 20 years, it's, you know, it's enormous, right? Mm -hmm. So 
So I was like, I'll just do the uh, a bestiary because that was what was striking my, you know, I, I broke it down into different sections and I was like, all right, I'm most interested in monsters now. So focused on monsters um, and, uh, you know, I had, had that extra, well, I actually, and then what, the irony is my job actually got more busy during the pandemic. Um, but uh, I, I did get in that pandemic mindset where I just started working my butt off to deal with pandemic stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, hammered out a bestiary. No, it's great. Um, I think I, I can't remember exactly, but I think I was looking around for just unique, uh, like bestiary type content. And I was trying to focus on like system neutral stuff when I found it. And I really appreciated that it was system neutral and sort of how you broke it, broke down like the monster block stats essentially to be able to port them over from something from something to one thing and it felt very much and i said this at the time like uh an, like an old alexander von humboldt uh scientific treatise as i was reading through them did you get any kind of inspiration or anything from like old like victorian type scientific literature yeah um definitely in the language that period is really important because i was working with a lot of stuff in translation and mm -hmm. i was working mostly in the public domain Mm -hmm. So that's really where that, I think that's where you keyed into that. Um, I have, you know, since you did that podcast uh, episode on my book, I did buy an Alexander von Humboldt book. Um, <laughs> I have not read it yet. Um, I was like, oh yeah, that's totally who I'm inspired by. Um, <laughs> you should probably buy that. Um, but uh, that aside, uh, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, you, uh, kind of the point of the book was to work with a lot of this public domain stuff mm -hmm. because I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I wanted to make it mythic and have a lot of resonances and have things that people have, you know, read or seen before just, you know, peppered in there just a little bit. Um, and I feel like that makes it, you know, stronger and, you know, more creepy. I think that really helps with the horror mm -hmm. uh, part of it is that, um, you know, a lot of the things, uh, they sound wrong, just slightly off, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's that kind of uncanny that I want to work in that realm of like uncanniness. Mm -hmm. Um, so those works of translation, so it'd be like Latin work. So there's a lot of, it's actually a lot of Pliny, um, uh, Isidore of Seville, um, Edward Topsell, um, just these like classic bestiaries, um, yeah. or encyclopedias. Um, mm -hmm. but there are these public domain translations. So they have that 19th century feel. So it's sort of like, that's the layer. It's like, you know, original text, 19th century. And then I, you know, and then there's lots of little subtle winks in there. Not too many. What's your favorite monster out of this? Cause I think Josh and I did our top five from, from each of them. Um, yeah, God, that's such an obvious question. And I should have prepared for that. Someone, <laughs> <laughs> Just just earlier today, someone asked me what my favorite artist. They were like, "Oh, here's a let me let me throw you a little uh, softball here. What's your favorite artist?" They were gonna they were showing off how great Dali was, and um, and I was like, "I have no fucking clue." <laughs> That's my first F word. Um, <laughs> so um, you know, you uh, what I really loved about the book was I had it I had it in this like taxonomy at first. And I had everything I, you know, I divided it into like, you know, beasts and celestial beings and so on. And then I had this 
revelation that I should just do it alphabetical, just like an original bestiary mm-hmm. and, uh, or, you know, the monster manuals. Uh, yeah. Alphabetical. Um, and what that meant is ant went first. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, well, what, what, what the heck's going to, you know, like people are going to get this book and they're going to open up the drive through preview and it's a bestiary. And then they go to ant. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just mention the ant <laughs> because so I sat there for so long being like, well, you know, how the hell do you make an ant really work in a fantasy situation? Um, and so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, so um, ants. So the illustration is really fun because it's it's from the uh, ant and the grasshopper. So it's mm-hmm. like a, you know, 17th century book illustration about the ant and the grasshopper. And and I'm thinking about ants and ants are clearly, they're sort of the hobgoblin of the um, insect kingdom. They're organized, um, but they're, you know, warlike, right? So I armed the grasshopper with the spear and I had the ants kind of, it was just like, so it was the ants talking to the grasshopper being like, oh, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta prepare for the winter. Um, so I switched it to the ants talking to the grasshopper being like, you gotta fuck, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta mess these people up you know like we're gonna give you this spear we made this spear and you're gonna you know you gotta stab the foot of this of this adventurer right mm-hmm. um and so then i was like oh these are great like you know who wouldn't want ants as an ally they can like they're completely invisible they go through cracks they can they can go anywhere so you know how do they and then i i got it found another ant illustration and i put a little diamond in its mouth Mm-hmm. And that you know they can crawl in there and get that diamond for you. I like to your point of like, oh man, how can I start this off with this? I like how you even have like a marginalia on that page that says, "What a tiny monster to begin a bestiary with." I gather <laughs> you're wondering how this book is going to turn out. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I did that. And I was like, so yeah, I added that like author voice column. Mm-hmm. I love uh, those. Sort of I love those. End, um, it's also, it's a little confusing because it's author voice mixed with like, uh, for some of the monsters, it's sort of like, well, there's actual mechanical stuff that I stuck there, but it was mm-hmm. just too futsy um, to stick in with any of the other sections. Like I wanted to keep, you know, I wanted to clean up. Well, as you, as you know, that's, you know, it starts off, there's an illustration, there's a quote and the quotes there to just have, uh, you know, like an NPC say that quote. Mm-hmm. or like a, a song from that. And then it goes to a description and that's in world. And that's sort of, that's supposed to be like, as a, you know, game master, you've discovered this book and it's about these monsters that, and it, but it's from the actual world. Mm-hmm. And then the side column is me being like, all right, this is what you do with it. Um, <laughs> I like what, I, will... I mean, I like what you did with this for, for as much as like a hurdle that starting it off with an ant could be like you were talking about. It's, it's really good. Like I like, you know, the little bit of world building that you're even able to shove in there. Like, yeah, you know, they live in miniature underground cities. They have small markets, homes, fortresses. You're like alluding to a culture that they've got and you bring in like poisonous ants to do some, so they can have some kind of offensive abilities toward humans and things like that. Um, I wonder why you didn't just like start when you were thinking like, Oh man, how do I start this with an ant? Why you didn't just like skip it and start with the antikathones. Hard work. Um, yeah, no, I, no, I, I, I really, I, as soon as it happened, I was like, no, that's a great way. I mean, who, who, you know, it's like the smallest, start with the smallest, 
tiniest dinkiest thing and then mm-hmm. everyone immediately is like you know what the what what's wrong what's going on wrong here right i mean i think they already the introduction is so weird and um uh you know uh, oh speaking of your last podcast when you're talking about the uh uh you know what is a role-playing game mm-hmm. um you know i love it's like my favorite thing about all role-playing books you know going back to the uh, first edition dungeon master's guide is the like ponderous introductions <laughs> you know like you know like a preface introduction <laughs> a word yeah. from the author <laughs> Um, and then, and then there's the book and then there's like appendices, like just a million appendices. Yeah. Um, yeah I love yeah. that sandwich. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get the screen here. It's mirror image. It's hard. Um, <laughs> I love that sandwich. So, um, yeah. So I, I start with, uh, I start with that introduction, which is, you know, in a, in a character it, that's supposed to be where the author is speaking, but it's in a character voice mm-hmm. and it's, it's, you know, it's difficult. And then I go through, uh, a whole rant about um i don't know if you caught that where there's like certain monsters that definitely don't exist because they're ridiculous mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then all the other monsters are you know even more ridiculous like why is that why is a two-headed snake impossible um but that's but that's in this source material like that i got a lot of that from pliny um who's an amazing source where it's you know he writes this encyclopedia and you hear his voice, you know, like there was no a concept of like a scientific voice, right? So he's just writing it. He's like, all right, this is what's going on with this country. This is what's going on with that country. And he's like, yeah. that, people told me that, it's total BS. And then he'll be like, well, here's the thing that's true about dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, uh, Well, you know. also, also uh, Pliny the Elder was the one responsible, like the, pretty much the source of all the Atlantis myths, basically, because he was like, Hey, so there's this big island off the off the coast outside, you know, outside the, the pillars of Hercules. Uh, you might want to look into that. And then, you know, thousands of years later, people are still like, yeah, man, with their tinfoil hats on. Like, yeah, <laughs> it got sunk. It got sunk. We lost you. We lost the audio you. finally gave out. Apparently, we're not allowed to talk about Plato, so let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to I was going to say I really appreciated starting with the ant because then whoever is coming in here that's like I thought we were going to get into some really extravagant really like extraordinary creatures if they scroll past the ant at all they immediately are into is it I heard Brandon pronounce it anticathones I've only seen it read I've never like heard it said I would have thought it was antichthenes but I you know, I don't actually. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Perfect. It's, it's I Latin. called it what I called it because of the way I've heard people pronounce the Antikythera mechanism. I think of it as the cathone. You know, you just think of cathone, mm-hmm. cathonic, and it's anti, so it's the anticathonic. But yeah. I have heard I think people I, pronounce it the other way. I think it's I also with the Latin. direction. Right. I think I went the direction I did because of antipathy. Oh, mm-hmm. I have no idea. There's, uh, so I'm also into, uh, I have a, you know, I have like a lot of people who do role-playing stuff. I have a lot of hobbies, right? Mm-hmm. So another hobby I have is, uh, like horticulture and, um, you use a lot of Latin names in horticulture and the consensus there is no one actually knows how to pronounce Latin. <laughs> so you just do your best and then that's fine. Yeah. 
we have best guesses and we'll just roll yeah with and those. they're all valid because no yeah. one actually knows and i just i want to make sure to set the record straight on you being smarter than me because uh, i think when your mic went out you were correcting me that w- there was play that started the atlanta smith but pliny pliny actually just tagged onto it like uh, a bandwagon <laughs> did you did you just <laughs> um i i googled it to double check it and because i remember i read Pliny the Elders, uh, like one of the encyclopedias, like 10 years ago, I started reading through it and I remembered references to it. And then I just completely forgot about Plato. So sorry. <laughs> sorry, Aristotle. I forgot about your boy. There you go. Um, uh, I, I just realized something. What's that? The current recording in Zencaster mm-hmm. stopped when we lost audio on the microphone. I think we can just pull audio from this at this point. It'll we're just fine. we're just gonna have to live with it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. Well, we can redo this. We can recreate these moments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just write. Just just have a, a, a Google transcribe it, and then we'll just read mm-hmm. it. Nothing like a unique. teleprompter. It'll yeah. be great. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll come out really natural. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're lying, Josh. You're lying. <laughs> Everything oh. is always natural all the time. That's our world. What the hell are we even talking about? <laughs> uh, we were talking about moving from ants into we'll we'll say antikathones for now. Yeah. Uh, oh, they're great. People... They're the they're the Romulans, by the way. I don't know. Oh, you know. okay. Okay. They're, so, and that's all in the sidebar. I don't know if you. Uh, there's like a there's a lot of really fun rules where uh, that you know they always wear masks. Mm-hmm. And so that was in part. Uh, there's a thing with this uh, bestiary where the it's all seeded from the source material. And sometimes the source material is the art and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the encyclopedias. Right. Right. So I had a thing where, uh, in, in, uh, I think it started with Pliny with the antikythones and then it's like, you know, uh, they're basically like the people you don't understand the incomprehensible people on the other side of the planet. And, um, there's just these great illustrations of people in costumes for festivals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like medieval Renaissance, uh, early modern festivals had just, you know, I, they spent a lot of time on those costumes. Um, and there's a lot of illustrations about them and they all look amazing. And so I was like, well, this, you know, I, I have to create a monster to fit these costumes. Um, oh, okay. And so the idea is, is that uh, they're all in masks, which is, a, it, it's a great, it's a great villain, villains in masks. That's a classic thing. Um, and they're weird and they're incomprehensible because they're wearing these costumes that are intentionally meant to be weird and incomprehensible. And, but then I was like, Oh, they're, I want them to be the Romulans. I want them like everything that's going wrong in your world, you know, it's a Romulan Mm -hmm. trap. Right. Um, so, uh, so then the idea is that the mechanics are you, if you actually remove the mask, there's a random chance that you know the person. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, this is really stepping on the DM's toes here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like a cross between Romulans and the court of owls from, from Batman kind of where that, like the secret society full of the wealthy and powerful. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, Are yeah, you a big Star like, Trek fan? <laughs> Star, Star Trek. Yeah. I, yeah. I make, make some Star Trek references. Sure. Okay. I mean, I, I was just curious. I was just curious. I, I recently rewatched balance of terror which was the first time we saw the Romulans. So that's, oh. that's just why I was curious. I'm trying. Um, 
I'm trying to get my 10 year old into old Star Trek. It's it's hard. It it really is. <laughs> I had to become an adult before I got into old Star Trek. I was okay, very well, much raised it, on Next Generation. It's all building up to like being like, you have to see Star Trek, too, because it's the greatest movie of all time. Absolutely. And so it's it's like you. So I, I forced him to watch the first con episode. Okay, I mean, that's like, really all you need. That's all it, you it need. is all you need. But yeah. like it's it's you know, a 10 year old is just like, what the crap is this? Plus all the ones you stream <laughs> now are really weird because they have CGI effects. I don't know if you've watched them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have a Paramount Plus subscription and I've gone back and watched some of the, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. All right. Yeah, uh, well, I'll never get, I'll never get close. Yeah, yeah. So the point yeah, I, is, I, I, I actually love the, the enhanced special effects, but that's not I, I, I think they're fun. Yeah, I, I think they did it. They did a pretty good job. I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to agree. They did a pretty good job. Um, okay. But better than Romulus, the Antikythons. Yeah. So you remove their mask, <laughs> and there's a chance that it's like someone you know, and a chance that it's like an important NPC. So it's like, you know, it's like one one in ten, it's someone you know, one in a hundred, it's it's like an NPC that you've known forever. That's really cool. So you, there, yeah, you've got I it, think you've got it marked here that it could even be the character themselves, which I <laughs> love is a little bit of arcane horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That also feels very Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like clones or something like that. Yeah. Or it's <laughs> like, no, it, you were the clone the whole time. Well, no, no, that's specific. <laughs> I like this one. No air wagon has ever been seen by human eyes, and preferably they remain unseen and mysterious to the characters. However, the Game Master can choose to incorporate them. The author imagines them as flag machines along the designs of Da Vinci or De Bergerac. I thought that was, I, I just love the little marginalia notes throughout there just completely random stuff oh yeah that well that specifically was me being like showing these airstrips airships will ruin it mm -hmm. um so just don't but then i'm like oh if you want to do it <laughs> here's how i want you to do it if you have to <laughs> if you have to yeah i just want them to be totally that's the idea they have to be totally mysterious and they totally violate well this is this is part of the thing with um monsters in general right so mm -hmm. Monsters in general, to be effective, need to violate rules. And that's sort of like the one of the central theses uh, with the whole book is that uh, monster books, like, say, the original Monster Manual, um, what I think we're moving to is less like, okay, here's a monster, let's stat it up. So it's something you can kill, like, here's my little figure, and mm -hmm. then here's this little monster figure, and then they fight, and then this has hit points and then it dies um so like you know we're in the modern you know 21st century era and then now it's like okay monsters have to be monster stories every monster mm -hmm. and so role-playing rules have to be broken for a monster to function so they have to like that's why i wanted to like you know step on the dm toes is just be like oh sorry i screwed up your game but it's a monster. It's like, it's got to screw up your game. Otherwise, like if your game doesn't get screwed up, then you're not fighting a monster. Yeah. And I, I've talked about this before. It's sort of the way I run combat encounters is a, 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 several years ago. I just kind of started to hate how combat encounters run like too video gaming, essentially, even even in fifth edition. So I started just sort of disregarding hit points and things like that. And I do do it more as like a dice based storytelling thing. Like I let the players get their hits in. I take the temperature of the table, see how it see how it's going. And then sort of adjust the strength or health of the monster, depending on 
the momentum of the moment, really. And I think that's maybe a little bit of what you're talking about. I think we might be talking about the same thing, but coming at it from opposite directions in terms of like me as a DM breaking the monster rules to try to have a better experience for the players. And you're talking about using sort of the mechanics of the game as a framework to break, to make a more interesting experience for the players, perhaps at the expense of the DM. Yeah. 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 Well, what you're doing is you're violating the rules of the designer and then I'm coming in as the designer violating the rules of the DM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think that's a really, that's, that's a really cool way to look at it. Um, so I, I do want to I do want to touch base on some of these other monsters, but I would like to get sort of a much bigger picture of things before we dig back into those. And, uh, you know, you talked about stuff you've been working on for like 20 years. If you could maybe give us sort of the capsulized review of your career as a content creator in the gaming space and just tell us how you got started, some of the stuff you've 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 done, some of the stuff that you're proud of, some of the stuff that you're not proud of, that kind of thing. Well, this is where, um, all right. Oh, oh, here's a good, here's a good story. Um, I, uh, yeah, starting in like the nineties, um, late nineties, I, I had that kind of thing where I, I played a, just an insane amount of role-playing games, elementary school, middle school. And then I discovered girls and then I dropped. Um, and then I went to college and I went to college with people who in retrospect, all my friends in college were, they're all huge gamers now. Um, but we never gamed. Um, and then I graduated and then I was like, I'm going to run a like first edition D and D game. Um, at the time, second edition had just come out and I'm just like, I'm not even going to acknowledge second edition. I'm going first edition. Like, I just want to go pure, you know, childhood D and D. Um, and then at that point, I just started, you know, creating, uh, God, what, you know, like working on my like Mac clone. I had a UMAX, uh, 900, <laughs> um, and I, you know, started typing it out on some free, uh, word editor and, uh, and, and literally that the text from that exists inside this bestiary. So, you know, 97, 98. So that's, some of this stuff is like 25, like, wow, that's really cool. It's 25 <laughs> years old of text. Um, <laughs> All I tried to do at one moment, I did one submission to Dungeon Magazine. And at the time, so this would be like 98, um, I wrote, I had this like ponderous, ponderous, <laughs> ponderous alchemist adventure um, where I just was like, they're doing alchemy all wrong. I'm reading Paracelsus. <laughs> and alchemy is like this. And, um, and I wanted to create an adventure around it. And it was probably the most boring thing, but the, whoever was editing, I wish I still had it. They just wrote me a really long letter back being like, this is the most boring thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like you like, like this notoriously terrible publication will not even come close to publishing your adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of, that's the kind of rejection letter you frame. That's, yeah, exactly. I really should have, but that's a 25 year old letter at this point. Yeah. Um, and you say that was like in the late nineties around like, yeah, 90s, late nineties. And then I just, you know, I've just been plugging away in the background, running little, little campaigns here and there for people. And um, so, but that, it, you know, when I started early on this and started early on like, Oh, Google docs, this is great. I can, I can make contributions anywhere. 
and um, it just grew and grew and grew, and it's you know hundreds of thousands of words. Um, so uh, so then you know so really I just started with the pandemic. So really mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fresh at this, and I just and I decided to come in like swinging. So I'm like I'm gonna I'm not gonna like do this zine thing. I'm gonna come in with a 250 page illustrated book because <laughs> if if this is the last thing I do, it's like yeah. something, right? Like That's if you write. Big Dungeon Master energy you're thrown out there. Yeah, exactly. It's totally this like, you know, channeling this like uh, Gygaxian, uh, you know, effusive uh, amount of writing. You know, like I, all I picture with Gary Gygax is just someone sitting there at a typewriter like mm -hmm. all night long. You know, he comes home from his insurance job and he ignores his, he hated his wife. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's typing this. And it's just like, you know, pages and pages and just, you know, throwing them behind them. And I wanted to capture that, like, just be like, you know, I wanted the book to come off like this person. Like, I want people to be like, is this person insane? Yeah, I mean, it definitely comes off, at least to me, Josh, you know, I won't speak for you, but it definitely comes off to me as like somebody who had about a thousand ideas and they they fit only the smallest fraction of them into this book. It just feels so fully formed. The, the way it came out. And I guess that makes sense since you said it was part of like a larger project that you've been working on for like 20 years. It has that very lived 25 in five years, 25 years. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that's how long I've been playing D and D 25 years. Yeah. I'm one of those people that like, I've never not been playing D and D. Mm -hmm. So my brother got um, the uh, Holmes when I started writing. So I have like a, you know, 1978 character sheet, which is like, <laughs> like in crayon, like, and me just inventing, like he had one of those, um, he got one of those box sets where like they ran out of dice and it was just the chits. Um, so he just, I've heard of those, but I've never seen one. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> um, and then, so like, I've never not. So I have like no moment where I learned to play D and D. It's just like, mm -hmm. it, it, it just formed with my memories. And you learned to play on first edition. Well, yeah, we had, well, we played, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, most people play this way is like we had, what we would do is we would take, uh, uh, you know, the Holmes and we would take the Moldvay and we would take like Greyhawk and we would take first edition and whatever was the most powerful was the rules. <laughs> So it'd just be like, I have this gem from Greyhawk and it does 1D 100 damage. <laughs> I've, and that's I've, legal now because it's powerful. It's it, yeah. Whatever is the most powerful is the most legal. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've played like a first edition clone before and it's, it was one of the most horrifying gaming experiences I ever had because it was so lethal. <laughs> I, I just was not used to it. Yeah, I, I have a very distinct memory of dying in the Tomb of Horrors and bawling, just uncontrollably crying. And uh, my brother called up his friend and his friend used a wish to resurrect me. Aw. And that's very sweet because, you know, because this is like... <laughs> <laughs> and he actually, he called multiple friends because he had to find someone who was home. <laughs> Hit amazing them, hit them up on their beeper if they if you can't get them at the house <laughs> this is so before beepers 
I was born in 81, so I don't know a, a world before beepers. My uh, my dad was on call all the time, so we constantly had that those things floating around the house. Um, but tell me a little bit more about the, the, the sort of larger 25-year project that you pulled a lot of this from. Is it basically just like your campaign world, essentially? Yeah, it's essentially that. But, you know, at some point I, I'm packaging it for release. So it has sort of like a, it's all under this uh, concept. Of, it's the enormous vagueness is it's sort of general rule. Mm -hmm. And that's like a sort of, uh, that's like a Chinese mythological term. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it, it's a, I, I really focus on this sort of Baroque period, mm -hmm. which is in, you know, so this, the uh, Grotes with the Grotesques is meant to eventually, you know, the monster, oh, but you know, like the monster manual is the first release for first edition at AD&D, right? Mm -hmm. so you know eventually maybe i'll release those rules but uh uh it's you know it, it what you're saying about it being a very careful world is that's what's in there is that it's a it's a it's a cultivated world mm -hmm. um uh and so it's it's this sort of uh late modern uh it has this sort of uh, central conceit where it's like um, Galileo gets his telescope and he looks up into the stars and instead of seeing what he saw, he sees Ptolemy's crystal spheres. So it's this like, it's, it's this early modern period, but it turns out that Pliny was right. So it's these early modern people being like, Oh shit. Like, Oh, well, that's just number two. I'm not doing that bad. <laughs> it's, it's, you're fine. We'll put a content warning at the beginning of it. <laughs> um, like, oh, yeah, this is this is totally real. That's like a really important thing. In it's just the tiniest thing, but in Grossworth and Grotesques, the swallows in the winter fly to the moon, and that's because there's no such thing as this modern world. There's no atmosphere like that. There's no there's no vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, the swallows are just like, all right, it's time to go to the moon. And that's where they, that's where they migrate. Um, because like, you know, that's just through the ether. Right. And they can do that. I mean, it makes as much sense as anything else during that time period. Like why not? It, it, totally. Yeah. And that's, it, it's a, uh, it's something I return to again and again is, you know, people will with fantasy world building, I think it's like a fundamental mistake. Uh, you know, like I, I belong to this Facebook group, a fantasy world building and map making Facebook group. And there's so much deliberation over plate tectonics. <laughs> and I'm just like, plate tectonics are from like the sixties. Like it has absolutely nothing to do with fantasy. Like there are, is they, no... are they talking about like continental drift in their fantasy worlds or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm just like, there's no, and there's like a wealth of like um, really interesting old texts about like what did people think the earth was like you know what is the earth you know how does geology work is something that people were trying to figure out for years and all of their explanations are so great and so fantasy and support things like an infinite underworld um i will and... say i've never seen this facebook group that you're a part of and uh in my experience anybody who starts getting really really into map making starts asking questions like what does their pangea look like though and it's like stop it stop it you're getting too right. deep you need to back it up yeah they're like so concerned about where water goes <laughs> yeah and um there's these like yeah the, the map making groups are are great well i mean you know it's a um 
uh, we're uh, tabletop role playing people are neurodiverse, and so we we have to accept everyone's little quirks. Um, but it cracks me up because it's it's just like to me it's just not fant. It's like oh, this is an opportunity to do fantasy world building. Mm -hmm. And you're and you're missing it. You're like, that's that's just modernism. Like, just that's the whole point of fantasy. Get rid of modernism and then see what happens. Like you're throwing all the rules out. Like, how does the universe work? You know, mm -hmm. um, it works literally any way you want it to. And that's that's the point of doing it. Yeah. And you've sort of met it halfway there because like but like you said, yours is sort of set sort of in a early modernish kind of period. But you've thrown out all the rules of modernity essentially and just let everything continue to run wild yeah yeah and then that's what you explore and what's great is it, like contra like uh pre-modern like contradictions are fine mm -hmm. yeah you just, your, your science is just as good as mine <laughs> yeah yeah or like oh that's right and it's like oh it's wrong but they're actually both true because we can't we can't figure this out and then that's great for um for a campaign because you can just kind of you can throw something out and people will be like, well, how'd you throw that out? And you're like, well, wh what do you mean? Like, what is, what is reality? Like the gods can just change it. There's go gods are real. Yeah. They can just change everything. So they don't care. They don't care about you. Maybe you pissed off the gods. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Speaking of gods, I, I see that you also threw in uh, the behemoth to, uh, you know, of, of Old Testament fame into uh, Grudsworth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think Leviathan's in there as well. Yeah, Behemoth and Leviathan are in there, and they're yeah. you know enemies. Yeah, right. But yeah, so was that that wouldn't have been in that wouldn't have been in Pliny, would it? Would it have been? No, I don't yeah. think so. That um, Behemoth really came off. I love that illustration. You know, mm -hmm. put that put that uh, edit that in. Um, yeah. <laughs> is the most about the guy getting run through with like the narwhal tusk? Oh yeah, that is literally a narwhal tusk. That's yeah, good, <laughs> that's a um, you know that's like a um, so that's a scene where it's like a biblical. Uh, there's lots of great illustrations of biblical um, plagues, right? And everyone's mm -hmm. like, "Oh, the biblical plague is coming!" And there's a variety of you know, like the locusts. Uh, when I have my locust entry, I have one of those. And so then I just like grabbed a narwhal horn and just shoved it through one person. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that, like and you that's the idea. Gandalf or something. Yeah, and that's the idea is it's like it's like this is an old that's supposed to feel old testament, like <sighs> you punch it, it punches out of the earth and it just it just ruins stuff. So that that's a great example of like um like I really don't like fantasy games that scale well. I feel like fantasy games should scale poorly. Mm -hmm. And so like this, you know, uh like the false land, that's another one. The false land, um is another Leviathan type myth. Um, and, um, you know, it's just like, it's a monster, but like, you don't fight it. Yeah. Like there's no way to win against it. It just, it just kills you. Yeah. So yeah. you have, to, you like, have to think it. that so many of your monster battles in any given setting are going to end that way. <laughs> like being saying like, well, you know, I'm 15th level, like means nothing to some giant dragon. <laughs> Yeah, I gave him like, yeah, I mean, I almost like, unfortunately, was like, I don't know, I'll give him like hit die 20. That was like my solution. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Does anyone scale above that? I mean, I, I imagine people do, but. Um... I, I will say I've always been a little bit annoyed by the fact that in Dungeons and Dragons, not only are Tarasks something you can just fight, but by the time you're like level 18, level 20, it's like, 
this is a very doable fight for an average party. Like, it's not even like, oh, we're probably going to still die, even though we are max level characters with all the right gear. But we we got to do it because that's how our party's going to go out with a bang. Right. And with like a sword. <laughs> right. Like, you can't. What? What does this sword do? Like, it's like skin is as thick as a sword, right? Yeah, so you're just right. like, what is that? Oh, but it's like, a, you know, this sword does this like crazy bonus damage and like I'm expending, you know, like you're expending everything. So there's, I mean, there's a, I mean, that's a, just a fundamental problem with that is you get up to those levels and then if you just expend all of your resources, what can you do? You can do anything. Um, And then you're just like, well, why, you know, why does the Tarrasque have, what did it start with? Like, an, I think it had 300 hit points in Monster Manual 2 or something. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. I, that's not that many hit points. No, it's really not. <laughs> it's really not, because um, God, I think I've I've at like tenth level I've had people fighting dragons or something like that that had like two hundred and some odd hit points. Yeah, and, that's why. Oh, oh, by the way, that's why I scaled dragons down. Yeah, Those dragons are little. Yeah. Have you have you run like these monster stat blocks in any existing systems to see how they, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say balance because they're not really meant to balance, but just like how well they function. Yeah. I mean, most like of them that. I'm currently with adults. Now I run black hack, mm-hmm. um, which works. I mean, especially it works pretty well with that. That's also why it's like HD 20 is infinity in black hack. Mm-hmm. Cause that's minus 20. Right. So it's just like, okay, you know, you only hit on a critical hit in that. Okay. Um, that's a, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that most, well, no, I haven't run most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've run half of them tops, but the half you have run, you're happy with how they turned yeah. out. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's, it's easy. I mean, of course it's easy for the designer because it's like, that's basically my DM style. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I intuitively, it's hard to relate. You know, everyone has their own, Oh, this this will this will loop back to what you're trying to say about designers and DMs and stuff. Um, you know, every DM who's DM for a while knows how to do their thing, right? I, I can, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, okay, I can do it on my table. It's not always amazing. It doesn't always work for everyone, but it's like a thing I can do. Yeah. Um, so all these monsters are a thing I could do. The challenge was to translate whatever I do intuitively into some vague universal format. That's that's a challenge Josh and I have run into before because um, we like pre pandemic, at least we ran like weekly public game sessions at breweries where we would write original content. We would go and we would just do D&D pickup games, running it for people. It became like a big thing at the time. And we realized that it was very complicated to take the way we run tables and translate it into like a two page adventure that just some randos could run in like three hours at a brewery yeah. and get it done because there's there's so much that you put on the page that is just up here in your head like essentially automatically doing the calculations for you and it's so difficult to just put all that down in a way you can explain to somebody else how to use it i think that's kind of what you're talking about yeah i mean i think it's a lot of it would be like why is pop music so boring <laughs> and it and it's because like pop music has to relate it has to touch everyone Mm -hmm. and so when you're um like dming is like a culture like especially like if you dm the same players um and you know especially like you're on your second or third campaign or something it's all it's all shorthand it's like it's a private culture 
Um, so you form this like subculture. So you're making like, you know, you're like in Germany in the seventies making industrial music. And any, we lost you again. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you